I would like this talk this evening to be by way of a commentary on a poem by the Russian poet Yuli Daniel, who uh, died that's at the end of last year, and the title of the poem is The Sentence, and, and I would like this talk this evening to be, as I mentioned, a commentary on the poem, and, and it seemed to me in reading the poem, it rather directly bears upon our relationship to ourselves, to what is actually happening as we are here spending these days together, and the interconnectedness of this with the, the world at large. And um, if I may say, um, with regard to myself and as a number of others of you as well, over the years I uh, have been influenced and I think quite, quite considerably in terms of re reflections and knowledge on people who have or are walking on the face of this earth and who have contributed during the course of their lives much to our welfare and understanding, sometimes very directly, sometimes indirectly. And some of the people in the past that would come to mind um, immediately would be, of course, particularly speaking here in Bodhgaya, the Buddha and his insightful teachings into the liberation of humanity and the planet, and others such as Jesus of Nazareth and Karl Marx and teachers of the present time, Krishnamurti, Ajahn Buddhadasa of Thailand, Ajahn Damodaro of Thailand, and others. And one sees in the various teachings and teachers that there is also taking place in what I've noticed during these years of the 1980s as we come to the very end of this uh, decade, a small but growing movement towards liberation. And it has its seeds, of course, in the long distant past, but it's also taking place in these times that we live in. And I found for myself, as some of you also may have done, an increasing wish and interest to be associated with the movement for liberation. And in very small ways, I have, as others of you here, attempted to give active support to the women's movement, which I think is one of the most significant movements of our time, to the peace movement where people <coughs> around the planet are extending themselves in the work for peace and social justice, to the green movement too, in which not only is the species of humanity a threatened species, but the species of life itself in all of its majesty and diversity is threatened. 
and even just on that small point, you know, in the 1980s when I was here, early part of the 80s speaking, I would be speaking of a species every day becoming extinct. By 1984 or 85, I would be saying that four, five, several species every day would be coming extinct. Two or three years ago, I was saying that a species is becoming extinct, never to reappear on this earth, every hour. Today, it is every half an hour. So one sees that there is a movement taking place, a, a movement in expressing itself in different ways and different forms for the liberation and freedom of, of the planet. And I think it's a very <coughs> important movement. I think it's very important that the movement has great diversity to it. And I think also that what's taking place here and the kind of work that we are doing is actually a microcosm of the whole. I don't think it's something separate from it. I think it is very much part of the work and possibly a little bit can get communicated through this poem of Yuli Daniel. This poet, wonderful, wonderful poet, during the 1960s was in the period following the Khrushchev era, was putting out poetry, one of the most viable forms of protest <coughs> for justice, and was arrested, and along with many other dissidents in Russia, was sentenced to the archipelago, was put into these camps for several years. Part of the reason that he was put into these camps because he persisted in <coughs> being a satirist he persisted in sending some of his works smuggling through friends out of Russia into the West. And the authorities found out, and it cost him several years in prison. And Yuli Daniel, in his poet poetry, speaks of things which, I, for me, touched me as someone looking at life and looking into oneself and may touch you and I would like to give some commentary on it because I think it's what, we, what is going on here is a microcosm <coughs> of the macrocosm. <coughs> it's called The Sentence. You will not be permitted to think your own thoughts or sigh for your home, or reject your diet. You are a lens, an empty sheet of paper. You have been cast into this water like a net. Your sadness must absorb all foreign sadness. Prison will multiply your age. And tired as you are, you must carry this weight the lineaments of a strange northern landscape. May the stinging of your wound remind you of others' mutilations. Submerged in humankind's destiny, your destiny is anguish from now on. Every day you must rub out the line between the heavy all people 
and the light myself. Every day you must die for those whose deaths were silent. Salt water shall be your drink. Your bread shall be bitter. You shall dream no dreams. As long as you see these faces round you, as long as convicts wear black uniforms. Do I accept my sentence? Yes, I do. And I think possibly for people who come for yourselves as you come into this kind of situation and you experience what is occurring here, it may well be at times that you have felt, and very understandably, that there is a regime taking place that one has to do according to the timetable and the schedule that marks each day this and then <coughs> this and then this. You may well have experienced strong and intense thoughts of being under sentence, being in prison, in which the thoughts of being out there, being on the <coughs> other side of the gate, being somewhere else, is what one's heart and choice and thought would determine. And so that in the actual time, at times, of being in here, one can feel very much like a prisoner in the archipelago. A prisoner, as a friend of mine who recently, I, um, last year or two, I have interviewed, taped interviewed, some 25 people who I have... Uh, the privilege of had contact with and spoken with from the late uh, Krishnamurti to Unu, the former Prime Minister of Burma, to a person dying from AIDS, and Fritjof Capra, and other people who have working with life in different, different ways. And in May, and in that, in speaking of Russian prison camps for protest, I think it one ought to remember that there are quite a number of people, number of friends who are serving sentences in the West for non-violent active protest, that people who are engaged in protest find themselves serving sentences in the US for going over the wall or through the fence to hammer on missiles and to register protest doing sentences ranging between six years and 18 years for doing less than $5,000 worth of damage and not harming anybody and going in without any weapons at all. So in, in our looking at the at protest and the liberation movements, I think sometimes in this situation here, in the feeling of being in prison, locked in for this period of time, even though it's voluntary, may contribute to us having, I hope, in that feeling, some sense of solidarity with others who are in that field, in that state, 
day in and day out, involuntarily. In other words, I think it is possible for us in our state of being, in our feeling of locked in, tied in, shaped by circumstances around us, to find a way to transform that feeling, not to think of it exclusively as me and my and what I am having to go through while I am here. I think the potential of our heart is to transform a situation in such a way that we begin to feel an empathy, a very profound empathy with those who are dispossessed and underprivileged. And I would consider this work here is a movement, a liberation movement, to find in ourselves a solidarity with the Yuli Daniels of the world. You will not be permitted to think your own thoughts or sigh for your home or reject your diet. You are a lens, an empty sheet of paper. You have been cast into this water like a net. So there's Daniel speaking of his experience in a particular situation and feeling trapped in that experience. And I think sometimes what happens on retreat is in the microcosm to the whole, one might get some insights which are, I think, <coughs> profoundly important. And I know over the years, and many thousands of people in all over the world who have come on these retreats with myself, with other teachers, sometimes it has occurred, and I'll give you some examples in a moment or two, some very small, utterly, seemingly utterly insignificant event which one would not give a thought to, which seemed barely to happen, has transformed quite dramatically, the whole value structure of consciousness. A substantial change from one tiny little event which has occurred. And sometimes we don't, in the microcosm of life, we don't realize how the ordinary <coughs> is related to the total. I'll give, you, I'll give you an outer example and I'll give you some inner ones. I work for, um, I do work for a peace group, Buddhist Peace Fellowship, which was established um, some years ago. And I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and I was speaking with uh, one of the people in the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, a man called Adam Curl. And Adam's work is a peace mediator. What Adam does, he goes to parts of the world where there is conflict between warring factions and he acts as a mediator between those warring groups to see what can take place between one group and another group to facilitate some integration or harmony where there is conflict. 
and he's been to Bangladesh and Pakistan, he's been to India, he's been to Spain and Northern Ireland. He spent a lot of time in recent years in Sri Lanka and the Tamil-Sinhalese conflict, etc. So he's out there in the field. And in talking with him, what he said was, he said, you know what it's like doing this kind of work? People think it's very challenging kind of work. Of course it is. Thousands of people's of lives are at stake and dying every day from the tyranny. He said, the issue which is going on is no different from the issue that you and I might have with our neighbours. It's all about psychological states of mind. It's all about greed, aggression, fear, paranoia. And that these states of mind have accelerated to such a degree with those in power that they can't meet each other, find each other, because they're so obscured and blinded by these emotional grasping forces. So just as we have that with our neighbour and we have that with the person next to us, he says that's what he's dealing with and he's tremendously grateful for the teachings of working on oneself to see how the small goes into the large. And one sees that one of the factors in that is similar to some of the factors which take place here and you may well have noticed and not even given a thought about it. It didn't even strike you the global significance. Small things reveal much in life if we look. This morning, for example, as we did three or four days ago, and possibly at the yoga each day, we had with the zafus and the zabutans, these mats and the chairs and the stools, whatever, were moved. We're here and now here. And then you may have found that you've walked in here and somebody is sitting where you were sitting. <laughs> and there is a reaction. Happens, lots of people have mentioned this, and it happens at uh, um, retreats without, without fail. And the old pattern comes and the old pattern says, this is my territory. <laughs> Keep out. And so one has to say something or do something or throw the cushion over the shoulder or whatever it might be because this <coughs> is mine. There's no, like on our planet itself, there's no evidence to show separation between land simply lines in the mind imposed on naked existence. And the assumption, the belief, the cherishing, the clinging, the holding, and so forth, comes in very, very quickly and takes a hold of mine. And the pattern of this this latent pattern with us is so strong that we divide this world up. The us and the them, the clinging, the holding onto the nation state or whatever, 
And that replays itself in the meditation hall and in character, in emotional content, in holding and clinging, it's no different from anywhere else. And I wonder if in such situations where sometimes we don't even know we've, we've in that kind of territorialism, whether we can stop and have a different sense about our relationship. Your sadness must absorb all foreign sadness. Prison will multiply your age. And tired as you are, you must carry this weight, the lineaments of a strange northern landscape. One of the things which we notice with ourselves, and I think that this, which a number of you have spoken about in the groups and in the one-to-one -one meetings, is this state of sadness. And there's a lot of work taking place and I think we have a lot of work to do with ourselves with sadness. <coughs> in the movement, in the liberation movements, towards working with the feelings of sadness and sometimes the feelings of despair which go with sadness. When there is the image that there is so much in pain in our world and so much of it we feel incapacitated, we feel we can't do anything, it's too much to bear. And this feeling of sadness comes. And I think this sadness also comes for the m fruits of many events which have happened in your life and my life. And sometimes the sadness is present. And we don't want this feeling, this deep feeling to go. We don't want this feeling to persist. We want it to go and to go and we think, how can I get rid of this? How can I stop feeling sad about this loss, or this separation, or this situation, or whatever? And the, the thoughts will keep wanting us to move away from it. And I think it's almost with a deep feeling of sadness that we have to learn to make friends with it. I think we have to drop the thoughts as much as we can, which want to avoid and want to get rid of and want to end. And I think we have to sense in some other way the feeling of sadness and learn to be friendly with it. Just as Yuli Daniel in his imprisonment in those years during the, the 60s said, your sadness must absorb all foreign sadness. And the way that I understand what that means for us is that when we are feeling these sadnesses and we sometimes feel them deep down in our body and we feel them very present, I think somehow we have to extend ourselves, <coughs> open ourselves to be aware <coughs> and to acknowledge that sadness isn't something personal. It's something which humanity, in the course of our existence, in a way we have to bear together. Human sadness is something that we, that we bear together. <coughs> and I think in that bearing together of sadness, it, there is the possibility, the opening up inside of ourselves to the world, 
of sadness. And if we can make friends with it, I think there's a wonderful opportunity for us to go into our feeling of sadness, not to be frightened of it, not to be ashamed of it, not to deny it, but to settle into that sadness and the very deep feeling of sadness can rather remarkably be a vehicle for our liberation. Not something offensive, not something to be denied, not something which shouldn't be there, but in the, because it's so sadness, the quality of it is so deep in our being, so that quality of that when that appears, that being friends and passing through sadness can be deeply liberating. And so, Yuli Daniel says to us, and tired as you are, you must carry this weight, the lineaments of a strange northern landscape. And the way I would understand that is sometimes in the experiences which we have, we look at the experiences, we feel the experiences, and it is like the lineaments of a strange northern landscape. <coughs> in other words, we can't understand why we are experiencing what we are experiencing. That sometimes it seems to me in our la uh, English language, we do not have anywhere near enough words and concepts to describe what we're experiencing. And so some of these experiences which we undergo, which you find yourself saying to me and I say to myself, I just can't describe what I'm experiencing. I just can't, I don't have the words. It's a strange experience that's going on and I just can't find the language to fit it in. And I think sometimes with our experiences and the many of these deeper experiences, the language doesn't fit. We're, as it were, moving out of the field of appropriate language. We don't have the language for, that, for that, those kind of depths. And sometimes we're in that strange northern landscape and we can't say anything about what we're experiencing but we know it's there within our being. <coughs> May the stinging of your wound remind you of other people's mutilations. May the stinging of your wound remind you of other people's mutilations. And I think sometimes in our setting here, <coughs> if it is a microcosm of the whole, if small incidences mean a great deal and provide a lot of insight to us, I think, or my hope is, that there is a great deal of often unexpressed yearning for justice. And I think there's a significant character to that. And I'd like just to give a small example because one person was relating it to me yesterday. Not uncommon. There's a light side to this and there's um, a, se uh, uh, a serious side. So don't feel uncomfortable if you laugh. <laughs> um, 
Um, sometimes the highlight of the day, that what Maslow, I think his name is, that um, psychologists would call peak experiences, are at the same time, 5.30, 12.30, seven, sorry, 7.30 in the morning, 12.30, <laughs> 5.30, 9.30. And everything else is a kind of fill it in until we get to the food time. <laughs> and sometimes at um, uh, 12.30, the peak, peak experience, <laughs> there have been the small group uh, meetings on, on, on the lawn <coughs> with um, Henrietta and Norman, Fred, uh, I, and sometimes these have gone on a little bit longer than past 12.30. So other people have been queuing for their food, have eaten their food, and are quickly en route for a second helping. <laughs> we are not sure whether their motivation is to get there before the rest of us on the lawn get there. <laughs> and so as one server said, I began to feel a certain restlessness, an agitation, and a bit negative, because there were people coming for their second helping, and there were others who actually hadn't had any at all yet, and the contents of the pots was getting less and less. And the person didn't know what to do in that situation. So I asked the person, as I'm prone to do, how are you thinking about this? <laughs> so the person said to me, well, I didn't want to say anything because there's a rule of silence. <laughs> and then the other thought person report reported was, well, I can see that there's greed in me as well. This is already an assumption. I can assume that there's already greed in me as well, and if I, any, if I say something or I get on that person's case, really it's just, I'm just projecting my own greed onto that person. So the two thoughts, in a way, paralyze action. And with the first one, I said, what has, seems to have happened then, that the rule became more important than the reality of the situation. And certainly those of you, us, who are involved in the peace movement and in the movement towards liberation, that there's a lot of discussion about the law, the technicalities of legalisms, the rules, and what rules deny justice? A lot of exploration of this in movements and civil disobedience, non-violent action. And then, I said to the, the person, in this situation, <coughs> with say, the agitation and the restlessness dropping away, there was some concern in that situation for justice. Justice meaning there were those who had and had 
more and therefore possibly depriving those who have not had any at all or enough. Where is the love in this situation? And the person responded, a very typical response, a response which many of us may respond, is sometimes we say, well, to ourselves, well, if this person can't be aware of others, why should I have to say anything? They, ought, they have to be aware for themselves. And in a way, when we do that, which we do that regularly with each other, we deprive a person from the least of possibility of in that moment coming to an awareness of the situation. So very easily, the thoughts which come in, the rule, well, it's just projecting of my stuff onto that person, or, uh, well, they have to be aware for themselves, actually come in and affect us from, I think, expressing and exploring what is, I think, a deep-seated route for justice. And I think this happens to us in many ways in our life, again and again and again. So I think it's useful here for us. As we become aware of what is happening, really noticing in situations towards ourselves, where we don't pay justice and give justice to ourselves, or in circumstances around, and what the consequences are of not listening to these deeper yearnings for justice. <coughs> in all sorts of ways. What the consequences are of holding on to my territory, and what that means personally as, as well as globally. Just recently, the, uh, uh, the BBC World Service uh, um, invited me to give what is called the, um, some programs called the Thought for the Day. It's uh, just a five-minute slot which um, gets um, beamed out um, three times a day around the planet. And they asked me to do a number of recordings for, for that um, uh, world service program. And I took two or three different themes. And one of the themes that I asked, I said in the, in the talk, I said, can we, and this we would be, uh, there's a, apparently a listening audience of uh, people around the world, about <laughs> a large audience, 30 million people. In, if one listened, I'd be eternally grateful. <laughs> really listened, I mean. And I said, can we, wherever you are, wherever we are, just for a moment, just stop, just be still, just be silent, and let go of our identity with the nation-state? Can we just let go for a moment of the thought of territory and sense for a moment our oneness with the world, our oneness with the sadness of others, our oneness with the mutilations of others, our oneness with the, the, the wounded feelings of others. And just 
give up for a moment the whole concept of me, my, and the nation state. And I think, as I say, in our work and in our working on ourself and looking, looking at ourself, in a way, all of humanity rests with each one of us. All of humanity is here in this room, showing and manifesting and, and finding expression in countless ways. Every day you must rub out the line between the heavy, all people, and the light myself. Seeing, living, experiencing without the divisions of them and me. Every day you must die for those whose deaths were silent. And in a, in a world that we live in, we know that every day millions of people dying every day, tens of thousands working for peace and social justice who have listened to their heart, who have seen the situation and whose hearts respond to that situation. These are truly, as others are, really our brothers and sisters in, in life. Salt water shall be your drink, your bread shall be bitter, you shall dream no dreams. As long as you see these faces around you, as long as convicts wear black uniforms. So even amidst all of this world that we live in, and all the uniforms, and all the dark faces, and all the loss of creativity and dream and joy, and so forth. He says, do I accept my sentence? And then Yuli Daniel concludes, yes, I do. And it seems to me in conclusion here that <coughs> in freedom of life and liberation and a liberation which is not distant from the world but a freedom and liberation which is connected to the world, as in the talk last night, the whole web of life, we're all connected to together, that in spite of everything, one might say, in terms of the pain, the wounds and the sadnesses, if we understand what it is to accept our sentence in life and to deeply accept our sentence, that somehow what registers to me is that in spite of everything in this world, it's all profoundly worthwhile. In spite of everything, to walk on the face of the earth and to feel the sun on the face and to be with the peoples of the earth and to experience what we're experiencing, we can say, hopefully, deep down in our connectedness and empathy with humanity, yes, I do, yes, I accept the sentence. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings live in peace and harmony. So let's have a couple of quiet mi minutes together, shall we please?
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.